Before Brad reads our scripture, I want to back up and give you a little, give you some backstory. Um, this will be familiar to most of you, but never hurts to have a refresher. So a man named Jacob, a.k.a. Israel, and his large family migrate to Egypt to escape famine. There they find a home, and for some 400 years, the fa- after 400 years, the family grows into a numerous people. Over that same time, too, the welcoming attitude of the Egyptian shifts, and those who were once welcomed are now seen as a threat. To deal with the threat, the Egyptians enslave the Israelites and kill their male children. One particular child manages to escape this fate, the child named Moses. Most of us have at least a glancing acquaintance with his name from Sunday school or maybe from movies like the 1956 uh, Ten Commandments or the more recent animated film Prince of Egypt. Rescued by the Pharaoh's daughter and raised in court as her adopted son, Moses gets into trouble when he sees an Egyptian who is beating an Israelite and kills him. When his deed becomes known, the Pharaoh puts him under a death sentence and Moses is forced to flee the country. Moses actually finds a place of refuge with a tribe of desert people called the Midianites who are distantly related to his ancestor Abraham. He marries the daughter of a Midianite priest, finds work shepherding his father-in-law's flocks, and becomes a father. Life is good. And after 40 years, Moses has almost put the past behind him. And then, one day... Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight, and see why the bush is not burned up. When when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on the account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know of their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, 
if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, this you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, thus shall you say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. The word of God for the people of God. I wonder uh, how many times Moses walked past that book, Bush, before he turned aside to get a good look. Maybe his first thought was, oh, I better get my flocks away from danger and move them away. And maybe his second thought was, oh, man, I've been out in the heat too long. But however long it took, at some point, Moses' curiosity got the better of him, and he approached the bush. And it was then that he heard a voice calling, Moses, Moses. Somehow he had the presence of mind to answer, here I am. And then came the warning, come no closer. Take off your sandals, you are standing on holy ground. Now, I've always assumed that Moses was instructed to take off his footwear as a sign of reverence, and I have no doubt that this was true. However, several commentators on this passage have raised some other possibilities. Think about all the things that taking off your shoes can mean. When you take them off at the beach or at a park, the feel of the sand or the grass under your feet just makes you feel more grounded and centered. Taking off your shoes after a long day at work makes you feel relaxed and comfortable and at home. And being invited to take off your shoes at someone else's house, well, that's an invitation to just be yourself, to be open and vulnerable. All of those things would have been new experiences for Moses. Given the ups and downs of his life, I doubt if he ever felt centered, nor had he ever, as Amy Willis, Merritt Willis points out, felt truly at home anywhere. In fact, though Moses has been with the Midianites for 40 years, he still thinks of himself as an alien residing in a foreign land. As for being vulnerable enough to be himself, well, that too would be a strange experience for one who had spent his life hiding his true identity, even from himself. Perhaps then the ground on which Moses was standing was holy, not only because he was in the presence of God, but also because for the first time he was invited to let down his guard, to center himself, and to be truly present. Take off your shoes, Moses, God tells him. Be with me. Be with yourself. You know, I think that's a good idea, so... I'm taking off my shooks, folks, and I invite you to take yours off, too. Go ahead. Take them off. Feel comfortable. Be at home. (laughs) Why not? Why not? As we continue to ponder Moses' story. Now, I'm sure that Moses didn't exactly feel at home in God's presence, but God certainly had his attention at that point. Imagine Moses' awe and wonder as he listens to God lay out an amazing plan 
and then in the process, reveal God's self as a God of relationship, a God of compassion, and a God who acts on behalf of those who are in need. I am the God of your fathers. I have observed the misery of my people. I have heard their cry. I have seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them. What an extraordinary recitation. The cries of the Israelites have brought to God's mind not only his relationship with their ancestors, but also his promises. And now God has come to deliver them from slavery. What's more, God intends to bring them to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. All this must sound like amazing good news to Moses until God drops this bombshell. Oh, and by the way, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out. Ah, talk about mission impossible. Moses can hardly believe his ears. Who, me? (laughs) Uh, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I'm a murderer, remember God? A fugitive from justice? A misfit who doesn't belong anywhere? Really, who, me? I will be with you, God calmly responds. I'll even give you a sign. When you have brought out the people, you'll worship me on this very mountain. Well, that doesn't really cut it with Moses. Great. That's really reassuring, he says. But suppose, suppose I go to these people and tell them this good news. It's possible that they will be mm, a little skeptical. What if they ask me to explain exactly who you are? What name shall I give them? This question seems odd to me until I remember that people believe that knowing someone's name gives them power over that person. This is not just an innocent question on Moses' part, a way to stall God. No, this is a power play, and he hopes a way out. And what does God say? I am who I am which can also be translated, I am what I am. I will be what I will be. God essentially is saying, I am whoever I want to be, and I will reveal myself as I desire. Well, this doesn't help Moses at all. But then God throws Moses a lifeline. Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent you to me. But you shall also say, the Lord The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. God is mystery and transcendence and holiness. But as Barbara Lundbad writes, God is not only beyond all words, God's name is attached to human names. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all names that his people will know. For reasons known only to God's self, God has chosen to be connected to the people of Israel, and God is there to be with them and to save them. But he needs Moses' help. Isn't that interesting? Surely God could handle this by God's own self. 
And look at who he chooses, someone who is all too aware that he is not up to the tasks, someone who is sure that no one will believe him or listen to him, someone who protests he is not eloquent, that he is slow of speech and tongue, someone who finally pleads, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. But God doesn't. God has a habit of working through people like Moses, people who are inadequate and stubborn and who prefer not to get involved, people like you and me. Who, me? How many times have you responded to someone's request in that way? If you're like me, a lot. Oh, oh, maybe not with those words. Maybe you've just said something like, you know, I just really don't feel qualified, or that's just not my thing, or I'd love to, but insert excuse here, or, well, if you can't find anybody else. When you say those things, sometimes the other person murmurs, oh, okay, and leaves you alone. But sometimes, sometimes that person knows what you don't know, that you are exactly the right person for the job. God knew that in spite of everything, Moses was the right person to go to Egypt and bring on his people. Not only did he know both the courts and his people's need, but he'd already demonstrated a desire to protect the weak and to see justice done. God knew what he was doing. In one of her poems, Mary Oliver once wrote, tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life. Whether you have plans for your life or not, be assured that God does. God has something in mind for you, something only you can do. Somewhere a bush is burning, waiting for you to turn aside and look. Sometime you'll find yourself standing on holy ground, listening to God call your name. You may be thinking, who, me? But God knows who you are and what you are capable of. And here is the promise of this passage, that when you follow God's call, God will be with you, and you will discover for yourself who God is. So it was with Moses. He ends up going back to Egypt and leading his people out of slavery and into the promised land. And in the end, he doesn't have to ask who God is anymore. He knows. David Los writes, Moses has learned who God is, you see, only by following God on the path God set for him and thereby learning firsthand the nature, the purpose, and the truth of this God. And the thing is, this doesn't stop or even begin with Moses. It was true of his ancestors Abraham taking off for a new land in his own age. Jacob fleeing God in every which way only to be galled by God to sire a nation. And it will be true of his descendants as well, from Old Testament prophet and priest to New Testament disciple and missionary. To tell you the truth, I suspect that this is the way it always is, even today. To know God, you have to go with God. Faith is a full contact participation sport. 
You can't just sit back and expect to really know God. You have to get up off the couch and get into the game. Take a risk. Try something marvelous. Reach for something you thought unachievable. Step out into the winding road, the end of which you can't see from your doorstep. So let me ask you this. What might God be calling you to do or be? What task does God set before you? What is your mission at this moment or maybe for the rest of your life? It might be a big project like going to Texas to help with the cleanup or doing missionary work in El Salvador, or working to alleviate poverty, or to bring about world peace. But it also might be something very simple and very ordinary. Volunteering at case or shared bread, caring for an ailing friend, offering a ride, helping with our youth group, or teaching Sunday school, putting together flood buckets for UMCOR. My friends, we are standing on holy ground every day of our lives. And every day, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joanne and Linda and Virginia and Marilyn and Craig and Heather and Brad and Lee and all of us, all of us, is calling us, hoping that we will say, here I am. But even if our response to that call is, who, me? God will still gently answer, yes, and I will be with you.